must out on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. But as I said, we're continuing on in our sermon series. We're calling it Wind and Fire, uh, drawing from Acts chapter 2, uh, where the disciples, they receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the, and the Holy Spirit comes through like a violent rushing wind, like flames of fire, and just consumes them. Um, we pray the same prayer for, for us as a community, that, that the Holy Spirit would do something new, would blow through our hearts and blow through our community in that same way. But today we're going to talk about one of the ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, how the Holy Spirit speaks and, and lives in and through us. So today we're going to be looking at, honestly, one of my favorite chapters from all, all of Scripture, certainly one of my favorite chapters from uh, the Apostle Paul's writings, but we're going to be in Romans. The book of Romans will be in chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 18 through 27. But hear these words of Paul. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not yet see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the, of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray. Holy God, fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit that we might see you that we might know you, that we might grow in our knowledge and love of you, that we might be made new, transformed. But we lay ourselves at your feet, you, our teacher, our Lord, and ask God that you would move in our midst. This we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Like I said, I, this is one of my just absolute favorite passages of Scripture. It's so powerful. Uh, it, it just, I, th I think it was, it's been so transformative in my own life because the gospel is not just a personal gospel. It's a cosmic gospel. Uh, a, a God, uh, the, the God that we worship is, a, is, is the God of the cosmos, the, the entire created order. And God is at work in His creation through his creation, to, to redeem and restore it, including us. But I think about what, what Paul is talking about there, and, and I latch on to this language of groaning, and it just gets me thinking, you know, you just ask yourself, do you ever groan? Is there anything you ever groan about in life? 
Uh, yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, that, that deep kind of gut-wrenching depth of your soul kind of groan. That inward kind of groan. And, and, and you think about like when and, and why you might groan in that way. I think about when most of us were kids, when we were kids, I, I'm sure that, that most of us would groan when our parents would ask us to do just about anything other than play, right? Just that, ugh, that groan. And I don't know about you, but now, you know, as I've grown over, older, I typically groan when things aren't going the way they should. Specifically, when they aren't going the way I think they should. Or when I'm just worn out and I don't have any words or I don't have any energy to put toward anything. And many of us, I think, I think groan when we hear the, the news headlines, when we see the news headlines, or we scroll, scroll through any of you know, the various social media platforms, you know, especially today, especially in our world as we're experiencing it today. You know, we might not have the words to express what we are thinking, what we are feeling, but it usually isn't good. So we groan inwardly. And maybe some of us, we groan outwardly. Some of us groan at things that we shouldn't groan at. And maybe some of us don't groan at things that we should groan at. But today we're going to talk about that groan and about creation's cosmic groan. All within the context of this sermon series, Wind and Fire, looking at the nature of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works, who the Holy Spirit is, and what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives as we seek to live fully into the life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, and maybe you've experienced this in your own life, the Holy Spirit can bring about radical change in our personal lives, in the life of the church, uh, in the world around us, and could make an impact far greater than we could ever anticipate. And I wonder, what would it look like for the Holy Spirit to do something new in your life? You think about your life. You think about everything you're experiencing. What would it look like for the Holy Spirit to do something new? To speak to you in a new way, to breathe into your life in a new way. But I also think, what would it look like for the Holy Spirit to do something new in the life of this congregation? In the life of OUMC? What would it look like for us to be of one mind, one heart, one voice, one spirit? What would it look like for the Spirit to come as a rushing violet wind and like flames of fire and consume us? Consume us in an embrace of love and mercy, but also consume the sin that separates us from God. What would it look like? Can you imagine it? Throughout this series, we're seeking to gain an awareness of what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, what the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of this congregation and in the world around us. But I think in order to gain a deeper awareness, a, a deeper understanding of, of all of this, we, we, we need to dig a little bit deeper into how the Holy Spirit works. 
We have to know a little bit about what we are looking for. And we've talked throughout this series about how the Holy Spirit can be really difficult to understand. How the the Holy Spirit can be difficult to see, can be difficult to hear. We don't really know, you know, how to make sense of the work of the Spirit. Or, uh, you know, often, you know, we even talk about the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. It's kind of creepy in that way sometimes for some of us. But we think about the, the Hebrew word for Spirit, We learn this in in the earliest pages of Scripture. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, and ruach means breath or wind. And like the wind, Scripture says that we cannot know where the Holy Spirit comes from or where it goes. But like the wind, we can feel, we can sense the Holy Spirit. And like the wind blowing the leaves of the tree or, or, or the blades of, of grass, we can know the Holy Spirit by its effects. But the question comes up, for me at least, what are those effects? And what difference does the Holy Spirit make? I mean, it just seems so intangible, so elusive, so difficult to understand. Where do we begin? I think Paul in his letter to to the Romans, especially chapter 8, points us in the right direction. But Romans chapter 8 is is one of the most amazing passages in all of Scripture. Uh, As I said, it's one of my favorites, especially of Paul's writings. But to get to the context, Romans 8 is situated within Paul's broader letter letter to the Roman church, the, the Christian church in Rome. It's a letter written to this new community of Jesus followers there that were largely, you know, this community was largely made up of Gentiles, non-Jews. Most were Roman citizens. And this whole Jesus thing was brand new, completely foreign to the majority of them. So Paul writes this letter to proclaim to them the reality of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. And he does so in a very detailed way. It's one of Paul's most detailed letters. But he also explains to them what the reality of Jesus means for the way they should be living. What does it mean that Christ died, rose again, and will come again? So Paul makes this grand opening statement in his letter to the Romans that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He then goes on to remind the Romans that they are just full of unrighteousness. They are full of evil and covetousness and malice and envy, etc. That in fact, no one is righteous for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. You know, Paul is pointing to, to how deeply rooted and pervasive sin really is in the world and in our lives. So that's the first thing we have to grasp in Paul. How deeply rooted sin is in the world and in us. But, he says, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That righteousness, justification is through faith in Jesus Christ. Then in chapters 5 through 8, 
Paul states that since we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, there is now peace with God. He says that those who who place their faith in Jesus are dead to sin and are given new life in Christ. And this life is a life lived in the Spirit. And this kind of summary statement, he states that the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are adopted children of God. And we are given hope, the hope of resurrection, that in fact we are heirs of God. We are even co-heirs with Christ over his creation if we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Paul is saying that we do not see or experience suffering in vain. We do not see or experience suffering alone. But Paul says that in this resurrection hope, the Spirit groans within us as we await the fulfillment of redemption. In fact, nothing is outside the redemptive work of Christ because creation itself groans in eager expectation of this fulfillment. Paul then brings chapter 8 to a close on this you know, triumphant major chord with, within this just masterful composition by stating that nothing, no thing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's almost as if Paul could just have ended it right there. But there's that groan. There's that groan. That's the language I grab onto the most from this passage, that, that groan. That all of creation is growing, groaning as, as in the pains of childbirth. For the day when it will, will be liberated, liberated from its own bondage to, to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God when it too will be restored. And us, humanity, we are to groan along with creation. You know, when it comes to gaining an awareness of the Holy Spirit, gaining an awareness of how the Holy Spirit works. I think this is a truth we have, have to grasp, a truth of, of God's scriptures that we have to grasp. You know, who of us does not know that there is something terribly wrong with the world and with humanity, that things are not as they should be? Who of us does not groan for things to be made right every time we experience suffering, every time we experience a loss? It shouldn't have happened. We groan inwardly for things to be set right. Well, here's what Paul's making known. That groaning that we all experience is the Holy Spirit groaning within us. Our unease with the way things currently are is the groaning of the Holy Spirit given us as a gift. That is a gift. Paul, in the, in the first part of chapter 8, focuses on the Holy Spirit as the agent through whom believers are granted life as children of God. No condemnation can be proclaimed over those following Jesus because we have been transferred from death to life and made God's own children. 
But Paul also acknowledges our present reality. And he raises the questions which we as followers of Jesus all raise. How can we, as Christians, as followers of Christ, maintain hope for eternal life, for restoration in the face of suffering and evil and death? How can God's own dearly loved children suffer? How can anyone suffer? Paul answers by stating that the life we enjoy here and now, it's incomplete. That life is present. We can experience life here and now, but not, it's not yet fully worked out. As Paul states, it's in the bridging of this gap between present reality and future deliverance that the Holy Spirit plays a crucial role. The Holy Spirit is the first fruits. The Holy Spirit is the, the pledge of God's gifts to us that both anticipates and guarantees the gift of life and glory yet to come. In other words, the, the Holy Spirit connects the already with the not yet. So the sufferings that we see and experience are real. They are unavoidable and they are painful often enough. But they cannot break the connection between us and God. And this connection is maintained by the Holy Spirit, giving us a deep sense of God's love, giving us a deep sense of, of God's hope. And in that love, in that hope, we're able to see the world as God sees the world. We're able to see the pain and the suffering and the brokenness as God sees the pain and brokenness and suffering. This is God's pledge to us. That the Holy Spirit will continue to work on our behalf, restoring us and restoring all of creation. And so our lives then take on this, this sense of eager longing. Longing to see things restored. Longing for suffering to end. Longing for violence and hunger and injustice and, and sin and racism and, and brokenness to end. Longing for death itself to end. All of this is the Holy Spirit groaning within us, given us as a gift. And what helps us maintain this eager longing? Well, Paul says that in our weakness, in our weakness, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. You know, we can be overcome, overwhelmed by all of the brokenness and the suffering that we see and experience. And we, and we can often find ourselves too weak to know what to do. But the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf, interceding for us through wordless groans and teaching us to pray. This is why Romans 8 is so amazing. This is why Romans 8 is so important. And this is why I love it so much. I think it corrects so many of our faulty assumptions about God and points us to the Holy Spirit's work in us and around us, through us. But, you know, for, for so many, God is just an impersonal puppet master pulling at all the strings. For so many, God is just distant and cold, and some go so far as to believe that the suffering that we see in the world is even caused by God to test us or to simply exert his power. But Romans 8 corrects all of these understandings. 
and tells us that suffering, sin, death, all of these things are not of God. They are not part of God's plan. They add nothing to God. In fact, they are, they are a privation of the presence and the reality of God's being and, and, and love. In fact, God gives us His Holy Spirit to remind us of this reality. God wants us to groan in eager longing for things to be made right. God wants us to be uneasy with the thing, way things are. Because we and all of creation were made for so much more. And God, through the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us and teaches us what to pray for. Even prays on our behalf a prayer which He hears and answers. Here's, here's the part that really strikes me to the core. We can kind of grasp all of this. God's work in and through the Holy Spirit, the groaning within us. We all experience that. We all know it. But here's what he says. All of creation is waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. All of creation is waiting an eager longing, eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Paul makes this statement, and he's saying that the restoration of creation follows the restoration of all the children of God. Creation is waiting for us to be revealed, to take our place as God's children and heirs. This is all part of the new reality that Scripture continually points us to in Jesus Christ. A reality that we were made for. It's a reality in which God is working to restore all things and where God is empowering us to take our place as a royal priesthood, as stewards of all that God has made. It's to own the calling we have to live into the life that Jesus offers us. To work toward the coming kingdom. And that's a lofty calling. Creation is just waiting for us to get our act together. To step out. To do what we know to do. To live the life that we know to live. Empowered by the Spirit. And so here's the last piece. From this passage that I really latched on to. Paul says that creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And you think about that. Think about that image. He's saying that the brokenness, the injustice, the violence, the sin, the death that we all see and experience, that we all know so well, though not caused by God and not what God has intended, are nevertheless going to give birth to something radically different. Something radically new something the world has not known, something the world has refused to see, the very kingdom of God. That out of death will come new life. This seems to be the whole of the gospel story. And all of this is given by, started by, made effective by, and realized by the Holy Spirit. So the groan you have within you, the unease with our current state of affairs, the indignation you feel in, in your core, in, in the, the, the just pits of your stomach, at the senseless violence, the, the senseless killing, 
Do not snuff that out. Live into that groan. That groan is a gift. That groan is the groan of a hope born in love. That groan is the Holy Spirit within you born out of a love for us and all of creation. So we must listen to the Holy Spirit. We must allow the Holy Spirit to groan within each of us, to pray for and through us, to unite us in mind and heart and voice, and to empower us to work towards the restoration of God's creation, to love other people as God loves them and us. May this be so for us. May we live into this reality. May we take that on. Friends, and it starts with listening. We got to listen. You know, I, I recently came across something where it's talking about the nature of prayer, and it, it, was, it was a prayer itself, and it was asking God to you know, teach me to pray, not so that I can get, get you to do something for me, but so that I may listen to you. Pray to the point where you just listen. You're simply present with God. I think that's where it begins in how we relate to God and how we gain this awareness of the Holy Spirit. But I think it's also how we are to relate to one another, particularly in what we're experiencing right now. We listen. We continue listening. We don't stop listening. When we think we have it all figured out, when we think we have all this racism stuff figured out, when we think we have all of the ills of the world figured out, go ahead and sit back down and listen some more. Listen. The reality is that sin runs deep. But the new reality ushered in by Christ is that we, we can have new life in Him, a life in the Spirit. And that Spirit groans within us for us to take our place as heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, working towards the restoration of all things. So friends, own your calling. Listen. May it be so for us. Holy Spirit, come. Amen. with me. We all start on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. We were hungry, we were thirsty, with nothing left to give of oh, the shape that we were in. Just when all hope seemed lost, love opened the door for us. He said, come to the table, come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior, sit down and set free come to the table come to the table 
crew of misfits, these liars and these thieves, there's no one unwelcome here. So that sin and shame that you brought with you, you can leave it at the door and let mercy draw you near. Come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down. to the table come to the table to the thief and to the doubter to the hero and the coward to the prisoner and the soldier to the young and to the older all who hunger all who thirst all the last and all the first all the paupers and the princes, all who failed, you've been forgiven. All who dream and all who suffer, all who've loved and lost another. All the chained and all the free, all who follow, all who Hey.